0: What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Welcome to the Project Life Mastery Podcast. I'm Stephen James, founder of ProjectLifeMastery.com. Internet entrepreneur and life coach with a passion for living life to the fullest and fulfilling my potential as a human being. My purpose for this podcast is to be a powerful and passionate example of the unlimited possibilities that life offers for any of us that has the courage to commit ourselves to life mastery while sharing ideas, concepts, and strategies that can help you master every area of your life from your health mindset, emotions, business, finances, relationships, and spirituality. Now, if you're someone like me that is hungry to take their life to the next level, then you're in the right place. Welcome, and let's begin. Hi, everyone. This is Stephen James from ProjectLifeMastery.com,
1: and I'm sitting down right now with Ari Mizell, who's the founder of LessDoing.com. He's the founder of the Less Doing Podcast. He's written many, several successful books on how you can do a lot less in your life, a lot less in your business. And he's also the founder and the creator of the Replaceable Founder event, which I just attended here in New York, which was amazing. And today we're going to talk about how you guys can do just that, how you can replace yourself as the founder of your business and create more freedom. So Ari, thank you for having us in your home and sitting down with me. Absolutely. Thanks for for having me. Thanks for coming to the event.
2: Yeah, so do you mind sharing with people a little bit about your story and how you got into doing what you do now? Yeah, so I got out of college uh, about 16 years ago and really random sort of set of events, but I went to visit a friend in upstate New York, a place called Binghamton. And Binghamton is one of the more depressed real estate markets in the country. And while I was there, uh, my friend Tony showed me these old buildings, these old cigar warehouses, you know, kind of like this is an old industrial building that we're in here in Brooklyn. Very similar kind of thing. And I was 20 years old, I got this idea that I could build lofts in Binghamton. So I made an offer to buy the buildings that day. They were very, very cheap. And then for the next three years, I was learning and doing every construction trade there is. I was running a team of 60 people. It was it was an insane uh, learning experience and a really crazy kind of lifestyle and a very unhealthy lifestyle. Yeah. And three years later, I was 23 years old, I found myself in $3 million of personal debt. Wow. Uh, yeah. And... I got diagnosed with Crohn's disease, and so Crohn's, for those who don't know, is a chronic inflammatory condition that affects the digestive tract. It's very painful and very debilitating, and I was knocked down really quick and went on this sort of downward spiral, really, for a couple of years. I was on a lot of meds. I was getting really, really sick, and the main thing for me was I had gone from working these like 18-hour hard-charging days Mm -hmm. to struggling to get an hour of work done in a given day. And after you had no energy? No, it was just yeah, I had, I, and I was sick. I mean I was really right. like like nauseous and you know in the back I mean just constantly not able to to do anything. So I got to this sort of low point in the hospital and I started to turn things around, started to do a bunch of self-tracking, a lot of biohacking, the aura ring is, you know, I see you're wearing I have one too. Every tool in Agile, every test I could do, I started to do. And a lot of it was really just sort of taking back control of my own information, my own body. And I started to see some results, and I was starting to feel better. And I was getting stronger, and I ended up competing in my first triathlon, which was oh, wow. Olympic distance triathlon. I got off my meds, and then I, just, I set my sights on Ironman France, which was a year and a half later. And in that training process, not only was I getting, I was getting physically better, but I also still, I started training 20 to 25 hours a week. And all the while, I still had this debt. I still had to run the business. Right. I still had to work. So I was presented with this really, this very real challenge, which I think in a lot of ways formed a lot of the basis for most of the things I do now, which is what would you do if you could only work an hour a day, mm. right? And That's whether, what yeah. and And as you heard me talk about this yesterday, it's a really different question than you ask somebody who works a nine-to-five job. You say, well, you know, what would you have to do if you, if you had to leave the office at four? A lot of people just say, oh, I'd skip lunch or I'd take an extra, you know, I'd skip one meeting. It's an easy question. But you say to that same person, well, what if you could only work an hour a day? It requires a completely different way of thinking. So I... Started writing about productivity hacks that really came out of restrictions. I'm a big fan of artificially restrictive limits in some places because, in some cases, because I think that really drives innovation. So I started writing blog posts about it, and that started to form into a system, which is that I would help people to optimize, automate, and outsource everything in their lives in order to be more effective. And then that quickly became a a bigger blog. I started teaching. It became the first book, which was Less Doing More Living. And now, uh, over the last several years, that's really morphed into much more of a business growth methodology that we call the replaceable founder. And the goal is to make people as replaceable as possible so that they can have focus, flexibility, and freedom, and really remove the constraint from the business that oftentimes is the founder. Mm So you're mostly focused, I guess, on teaching people to work smarter than harder. Is that what you would describe it? Yeah, and, and that's, definitely, that's definitely accurate. But to me, I just I really want to get people not necessarily working less in an absolute sense. I want them to be working as much as possible on the thing that they're the best at, right? The thing that they're the genius at. Uh, because I think that's where the impact comes from, not only in their business, but their family and the world. Yeah. You know,
1: I think one common thing people deal with, whether they're an entrepreneur or not, is just stress, overwhelm. And I know a lot of people that they first start a business, they're wearing multiple hats. A lot of people, they're trying to build a business, like a lot of my audience, they're trying to build an online business while they're working a full-time job, right? And so it can be very challenging. Um, And I know for you, you know, I think hearing with your story is that stress was actually amplifying the Crohn's disease because it's creating more inflammation and whatnot. You know, just in terms of the stress and overwhelm, what are some things people can do to ease that a lot?
2: yeah, so it we we sort of jokingly refer to me as the overwhelmologist, right yeah. so we we hear that all the time, and uh some interesting things that we see i' I'll get your, your answer uh, from zero to forty thousand dollars in sales, which is like straight up a side hustle right they're just trying something out. the biggest need for that kind of a person like from a, a data standpoint is to reduce pressure and noise. Like that's the words that come up, right? They, they have the side hustle, they're wearing all these different hats, as you said, and they just need to sort of reduce the pressure and noise so they can expand that a little bit. And then from 40,000 to 100,000, the goal there is really trying to find product market fit. But up until 100,000, most people are not full time in their businesses. Yeah. We see that all the time, right? So once they hit 100,000, then it's like, all right, I can, maybe I can really do something with this. So. The number one thing is that optimized step, as I said. And the the number one thing that people need at that point is basically to be able to breathe. So they need to be able to just take a moment of pause to look at the way that they do what they do. And that optimized step, as you learn, is extremely important because a lot of the overwhelm that we experience simply comes from a lack of knowing what's causing overwhelm. And while that sounds very circular, you can't read the label from inside the jar. I like to say that all the time, right, because there's... you're in the machine, you're in it, and it's extremely hard to be uh, introspective and self-aware. So honestly, something like the Aura Ring, some level of tracking, which a lot of people don't even experience, is so powerful, and that level of information, uh, knowing how many emails you sent on a particular day, like how many calls you're doing. Most people that are in this sort of scenario, and they're overwhelmed, and they have a side hustle, and they have a family, they have these things, if you ask them at six o'clock at night, what'd you get done today? It's not like an instant answer. They have to think about it. They might have to check their calendar. Like it's a lot going on. And simply that exercise alone, if you were to say it every day at six o'clock, take three minutes and just write down all the things you've got done today, like the happiness level goes up by fifteen percent. Is that because they're reinforcing, I guess, the progress that they're making? Yeah, and and it's a it's a problem as an entrepreneur in general, but I just think as human beings, like some of us are just not good at sort of sharing that, but yeah. as an entrepreneur, you know that at the end of the day, you're pretty much the only person that really knows if you did a good job or not. Yeah. So if you're not even sharing that with yourself, yeah. it becomes really hard. That's true. And then you just feel like you're just sort of churning and burning. Yeah. So most people, I'm, you know, I'm sure they have
1: a to-do list, right? And I know you've shared a different philosophy that you have around that, but they have a long list and that overwhelms them. They maybe try to prioritize things a little bit, but any tips on how people can better maybe plan their day or plan their week, just to be more efficient in the planning process? Because I think a lot of people they're maybe reactive yeah. um, throughout their life and they're not planning things or organized in that way.
2: So there's a, a couple sort of different things to tack there. One is that yeah, the traditional to-do list, as far as I'm concerned, is completely anti-productive. Yeah. Uh, people have these lists and they have journals and things like that, um, and it, the aspect, simple aspect of having like a vertical to-do list with things that you are not able to really move around through some sort of a pipeline that you're crossing off maybe, what actually ends up happening, the really short answer, is that most to-do lists, all they do is remind your brain of all the things you're not getting done. And they just add to the frustration. And you can't even enjoy the aspect of crossing things off. I can't tell you how many times uh, you ask somebody who's really busy, like, what would you get done today? And there's the, the answer is... Uh, oh, I got twelve things. On, I put twelve things on my to-do list. Like that was the accomplishment. And that's insane. Uh, so, and also really self-like de- deflating. So, to-do lists need to be much more much more uh, dynamic, and you need to have what's typically referred to as a, a kanban view, which is like a list and you know a list, a list, a list, and sort of phases. So, at the very very basic level, it would be something like to-do, doing, done, and you need to have this sort of arc that you're moving towards a goal, not just erasing something from a list. Um, so that's like the very short treatment there. But the other way to think about this is a lot of people like to plan out their days in terms of what they're going to be doing or what they're going to be doing in uh, certain hours or blocks. And that's okay. But one of the more innovative ways, I think, to look at it is who the time is for. right? So if you look at your whole day and uh, if you are a parent, maybe the morning couple hours is for your kids. If you're religious, maybe there's a half hour in there that is for God. right? If you're... Uh, on a, on a, a uh, committee for a charity every week, like that time is for the charity. But you have to look at throughout the day, and are you organizing yourself in a way that you're dedicating that time towards a particular person or group, spouse, children, uh, employees, clients, yourself? Uh, I think that gives people a much better sense of balance, because the truth is for me, in a given day, I have four small children. A lot of the time is for my kids a smaller part of that is for my spouse, my wife. Um, there's a good portion of that for my team and my clients. And there's usually a small slice for me, and that's enough. Like, And I don't mean that I'm a martyr in any way. But if I don't even ha- if I don't have that in a day, the half an hour that's for me, and I know that it's for me, that weighs on you. Yeah. So rather than looking at, like, oh, I'm going to get 100 emails done or I'm going to write that TPS report, right? Mm-hmm. Think about, like, who the time is for. And I think you'll be really fascinated when people do that. To see how their day actually works out and what balance truly looks like.
1: Yeah, so you set up blocks in your calendar, I guess. Of this is when you're going to focus on this. This is when you're going to dedicate your time to your family, going to the gym. So it's all planned out. Do you do that for
2: your whole week? Yeah, and it's it's pretty, uh, you know, rinse and repeat for me. I mean, again, because I have the kids, like nine to three is basically when I work while they're at school, Uh, and three to eight is like for them. And the, the nice thing about that for me also is. You know, hustle in itself is not a bad thing. Intermittent hustle is great. Yeah. But hustle, hustle, hustle is not good. And we as human beings, we need change. Like change is the thing that makes everything work better for us. If you think about it, right? Um, monotony and like consistency in some ways hurts us a lot of times. Yeah. And it gets boring. And as and as entrepreneurs, we have a tendency to self-sabotage when that happens and make things break so that we can fix them. Yeah. Right? We see it all the time. So, uh. Recognizing that it's not even so much a work life balance because that to me doesn't really exist, it's a work life integration. Yes, yes. Now, I know, um,
1: let's talk about inbox, email. And I, I love your thinking because everything that Ari does, like you look at how to optimize it. Most people, you know, they go about their inbox, their email, but they don't actually look at how they can improve this, um, you know, the way they're going about it. And it, it's such a simple thing. It's something that consumes most of our lives. We've got so many emails and messages coming
2: in. What are some strategies that can help people with their inbox? So we have a, a whole method around this. That the, the email problem is not an email problem. It's a decision-making problem. So we attack this with what we call the three decisions. And uh, the interesting thing about the inbox is that it's a very unique uh, opportunity in our day to basically make thousands of decisions, right? You don't really have that anywhere else. You might make a lot of decisions throughout the day, but nothing like what you get in the inbox. And the worst thing is that a lot of people treat every email, whether they realize it or not, as if it's the first time they've ever seen an email, right? It's like, ooh, you know, new opportunity. How many respond to this? Maybe, right, no, I'll get to it later. I'll come. It just doesn't work. So what you do have is you have to limit yourself to three possible decisions. You can either deal with it right now, and if you can deal with it right now, then do it, And that could include delegating it, because if you delegate effectively in that moment, you're done. You could delete it, which is to say no, essentially, and also sending an email that is basically a confirmation, like, got it, thanks, shouldn't do that. Uh, Or you can defer it to a time that is more effective for you to manage it. And that could be a few hours later, it could be a few weeks later. But fooling ourselves into thinking, like, we're going to get to it, doesn't, doesn't make any sense. And it also makes it very passive for us. The other thing about it is that the inbox is an area where it's very easy to allow yourself to lose control whereas most of us really need control as an antidote to stress. So you know, the biggest like control freaks in the world, they won't let anybody else touch their inbox or they won't let systems in there, it's like their thing. But they're actually really being controlled in that environment. And some semblance of control. We're saying this is our tool, and this is how we're going to handle it. And these are the decisions that we can make. Makes it extremely powerful. Not to mention that this is a model for how you make decisions in general. Mm-hmm. So that's again, we, you know, Inbox is a great way to sort of teach this, but it, in truth, it really is how we make decisions in general. And there are not a hundred different decisions for everything that we see. Got it. Now I know
1: um, I want to. You, you have a lot of tactics, which I love. You're very practical. You're very tool driven. Um, In terms of email, is there a certain um, email provider you recommend more than others? Because there's a lot of options that people have, but there's certain features that I know that some have that might be better.
2: Yeah, so I really try my best to be kind of tool agnostic with what we teach. Uh, I would say kind of clearly, like if you're still using AOL, which some people do, like it's going to be really hard to be productive with your email. But uh, generally, it's fine if you're using Outlook or Gmail. I do prefer Gmail. I think it's just a lot a lot slicker the way it works, and there's nice plugins that make for for these. Uh... The thing that you want is you want to make it really easy to move something beyond email, right? If it needs action, so like if it's a to do, when you're going to put in Trello, it's nice that there is a Trello plugin for Gmail that I can just click one button and the email becomes a to do now in Trello. It's no longer an email thing; now it's a project that we're going to work on. But also, Trello has that built-in snooze function that makes it really easy to defer things to a time. That is better for you. And that time could be, uh, if it's a phone call, there may be times where you're better at phone calls. If it's a writing task or a creative task, there's definitely going to be times when you're better at creating. So you can do that really well uh, in a built-in way. If you're using something like Outlook or not Gmail, then you want to use a tool called followupthen.com to also be able to defer those emails. But deferring is not procrastinating. That's a a really key distinction. Yeah, and that, that was a
1: great thing I learned from you because... We have all these emails come in, but we don't have a way to process it, and you know the, the snooze feature that's in Gmail, you can defer that for a certain time, and one thing you shared yesterday was the peak time, yeah. that we all have a certain time throughout the day that we're the most efficient and that some things, some emails or projects or work might be better later in the day or a certain time to defer it. Do you mind sharing a little bit about the peak time?
2: Of course, but I just want to pick on one thing you just said, which is that people don't process their email. That word process is really important because that's what you should be doing, right? People uh, misunderstand a lot of times how they should be approaching and using their email. And it is, you're going in there to process those emails, which in a lot of ways is like sorting, right? As a leader, you decide, okay, this is this. I'm not gonna. I, I got it. I'm not gonna respond. Or this is something that needs to go to this person, so I'm just gonna sort of hand it off there, and you knock the bottleneck. So uh, peak time is a roughly 90-minute period throughout the day, in the day, where you are two to 100 times more effective than any other time of the day. And it's different for you. It's different for me. It's different for all of you. And By effective in that measure, we're talking about your ability to to jump into a flow state. For most people, the experience of a flow state is a dilation of time, meaning, you know, minutes feel like hours, hours feel like minutes. You really get into a flow state. So you can identify it in a couple different ways, but we made this really cool free app called the Less Doing Peak Time app that uses something called the CNS tap test, where you're tapping on the screen multiple times throughout the day, and after three or four days it'll average it out and it'll let you know when your peak time is. And mine is generally 10 to noon, if you do nothing else but just don't schedule anything during that time and just sort of allow yourself to really work on your highest and best abilities, your unique ability, you'll be amazed at the jump in productivity. If you have a team and you identify what their peak times are and you try your best to schedule a meeting with everybody maybe that's not hitting anybody's peak time and you're leaving people alone during the peak times, you'll see massive productivity increases in your team. And then lastly from that, once you identify what that peak time is, that becomes an anchor for all the other things that you might do. So if I know my peak time is 10 to 12, which it is, um, I have been able to discover from that that I'm better on the phone after noon. Mm-hmm. So once my peak time is over, apparently that sort of jazzes me up to be able to be on the phone. But if I try to do a phone call at 9 in the morning, I'm not amazing. Like, uh, so, And creatively, I do better at 8 o'clock at night or beyond. So these things kind of spider off identifying when your peak time is. I love that. Now
1: you work primarily with a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs. What are some of the most common challenges that you see people that come to you? What are they facing and what are some solutions or things that you primarily
2: help people with? So the fascinating thing that we see that we're like cross-section of industries and everything is that at particular sales levels the issues tend to be the same no matter what. So uh, from 100,000 to 300,000 in sales, so the person's just gone full-time the primary concern, the primary focus at that level, is sales, right? So they need to be bringing revenue in the door and focusing on sales. And to graduate from three hundred thousand, uh, from you know under three hundred thousand to over three hundred thousand, they need some system for leveraged sales. So whether that's um, ads or salespeople or just something that they can sort of so not on. dependent on them.
1: So they can't be the bottleneck of everything, right?
2: Right, but also they need to be able to get out of the sales role so that they can service the business that they're bringing in, right? From 300,000 to a million, the focus is, has to be on systems and processes that replace what you as the founder do well, because now you're going to become a victim of your own success. And we see this all the time. I can't tell you how many times I've seen companies that are stuck, and you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a great problem to have, but stuck at $900,000, $950,000. They cannot break a million dollars, because they're crushing themselves under the weight of their, their own success. So you need to be looking at systems and processes that, that replace what you do well. And the question at that point for the founder from 300,000 to a million is typically, and you can think about this for yourselves if you're at that point, is how do I get ahead? When you flip over the million-dollar mark and the next range is a million to three million, now the question becomes, how does my team get me ahead? And at that point, you're really focusing on building a team and putting in those structures for the team so that they can grow, and then from three million million to ten million, the question flips from how does my team get me ahead to how does my team get ahead? Mm-hmm. So from three million to ten million, you're actually becoming a real leader. Interesting. And you focus and you have to focus on leadership systems. It's fascinating. Three million to ten is where we start to see people really developing a C suite. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and again, across industry like these are the issues that we see. Yeah.
1: You know, I I can relate to this, and I think a lot of people when they first start off, like a lot of my audience, they start selling on Amazon or publishing books, and they're more of a solar entrepreneur, Mm -hmm. solopreneur, but um, the level of thinking that got you to a certain point is not gonna get you to where you wanna go, right? And there's different beliefs, because I know for myself, I struggled with that where I had fears that, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs can relate, of giving up control or only I can do this, no one can do this as great as I can, it's like an ego thing, and you have to release that and, and start to think in a different way to bring on a team and outsource. And you also, and we'll maybe talk about this in a bit, you share ways to outsource that are different. Because a lot of people, you don't necessarily have to have a team. There's outsourced services where you can bring someone in or have VAs that help you without having to spend a lot of money or have full-time staff. But, yeah, what are your comments?
2: Yeah, I mean, so I, I'm... I'm uh very, very protective, I guess would be the right word, of allowing people to become team members, right? Um, and not, for uh, several different reasons, but not the least of which is that you just don't need people that are team members when you can outsource and work in a contractor way with so many different people. It expands your ability to be able to work with people across the globe. Technology obviously enables that. The, the thinking that, A, you're the only person that can do it is obviously very limiting, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Because then you really don't have a business. What you have is you own your own job. Yeah. If it's uh, right. The second uh, aspect there is that to imagine and think that the greatest talent in the world, which you have access to, but to think that the greatest access, the greatest talent in the world is in your zip code, that's a problem, right? right? (laughs) Um, So, uh, and and that's that's just limiting beliefs. It's just sort of uh, the past and thinking that that's how the way that's the way that things were done. Um, but, uh, and then furthermore is that when people are able to work in their own environments in their own way and have their own flexibility, you're going to get better work out of them. I would rather a contractor that's working eight hours a week in their own home in their comfortable environment than a full-time person that's 40 hours a week in the office because we know that for most statistics, those people are producing eight hours of work anyway, right? And you just create this culture that makes no sense. So on my team, I have three people that work for me. And I actually had seven when we were smaller, and we've gone down to three, right. uh, which has been sort of a natural process of people replacing themselves. Mm-hmm. And now we have hundreds of contractors working for us. Mm-hmm. I also have uh, companies in our program that have gone from you know five hundred thousand dollars in revenue to twenty five million dollars in revenue without without increasing their team. Mm-hmm. So and that's just being more efficient, optimizing what they're getting from your team. Yeah, and and the thing is, is that. The people that start out at sort of an entry level and grow with you, you have to allow them to grow. And if they can't be replaced, then they can't grow into another position. And when they do grow up into another position, then they can manage a lot more outsourced contractor-type people. Uh, and there's one other thing I wanted to point out about that, which is uh, it's really empowering, right, because they become part of that growth engine and they get to almost be intrapreneurs in the company themselves because they get the freedom and the resources to make that happen. So you can grow. And the biggest myth that I think a lot of people have is that they think that when they're growing or when things get complex, like, we just need more people. So many people come to me saying, like, we just, you know, I need help hiring more people. It's like, why don't we look at what you're hiring them into first? Makes sense. So uh, do you mind sharing with people some ideas or things that you outsource
1: in maybe your personal life? just to show people, give them examples of that, and then also in your professional life as well. And maybe, yeah. I'm not sure if you're able to share some of the services that
2: yeah, you utilize for
1: that, but that'd be great too.
2: Yeah, so the, the main virtual assistant service that we use is something called Magic, so people can go to less.do slash magic and uh, experience We'll them. link to
1: that below, so less.do slash magic. M-A-G-I-C. I see, yeah. Okay.
2: So, Magic is a, a team of virtual assistants. It's what's called an on-demand service. So, we don't get one person, which I, I don't like having that, because to me, that's just another bottleneck. Uh, and it's they work very seamlessly together. Their response time is 30 seconds, 24-7, and we probably do three to 400 hours a month with them wow. between the business and my personal life. Uh, on the personal side of things, I have four small children, seven and under. Uh, Magic handles everything with insurance and health forms and applying to schools and signing up for summer camps and arranging travel, uh, piano lessons. like They deal with all of that stuff so that I can focus on being a dad. Right? I never have to worry about the logistics of anything. Anytime we have to buy something that's not on Amazon, I pretty much have them do it because I don't want to have to sign up for things. Yeah. Uh, and then on the business side of stuff, so they deal with a lot of our customer journey. So when we have touch points with people that are Facebook messages or text messages, they'll do some of that. We actually use them to optimize several of our processes in a very manual way to figure out where things work and where they don't. Uh, the event that you were at yesterday, they planned the whole thing. They booked the space. They dealt with the caterer. They did the invitations. Everything was run through them. So we really try to push the limits uh, of what can be done. And when we hit a limit, it usually just means that we need to create a process for it, and then they keep going. Mm-hmm. And one thing you do is you just send like
1: a voice message to them like, hey, send send this book to to so and so, or book this flight, or research this for me, and then how how fast do they typically get back to you? And then how much training, I guess, is involved? Because I think some people might think, oh, I don't want to give up that control. What if they make a mistake? Or what if they do this wrong? Anything around that too?
2: So uh, the yeah, their the response time is roughly like thirty seconds, you know, twenty four seven. So it, they're they're so fast that when I I travel quite a bit, and whenever there's an issue with the flight, I usually get a notification from them before the airline notifies us, right? right? And they'll be like, oh, we just started... It's proactive with all that stuff. It's incredible. So the other day, I was supposed to go to Toronto, and five hours before my flight, they messaged me and said that the flight's been delayed two hours, and we know that you have to be at dinner at 8 o'clock, because they planned that dinner. So they're like, we already found a flight on American Airlines, do you want us to switch? Yes, done. You know, great, here's your boarding pass. Uh, you know, you have 24 hours right before to check in. You get the 24-hour notice, 20 or three minutes later, they've sent me my boarding pass. You know, so uh, it's it's just excellent that way. And then, uh, what was the second part of the question? Well, so just on that point, so are you
1: <clears throat> training them? I guess initially oh, yeah. for that, and, and maybe providing like a, a system that you first create before you outsource. Like here's here's my preferences here's you know my you have yeah. to give them i guess some personal information like credit card information passport information
2: yeah so obviously i'm pretty good now at like sort of foreseeing what might be need needed but the the biggest thing is that when you're working with outsourcing or with virtual people in general or you know um, remote people you can't look at it as like you're just sort of like moving through time like you really have to be retroactive or re- retrospective about some of this stuff so a lot of times If I were to ask them something and they needed more information from me, I would give it to them, but then I proactively will say to them, like, add this to the process for next time. You know, so uh, I like my calendar invites to be very detailed. I like the address. I like all the notes to be in there. So that just took one time of them making a calendar invite for me and not having the address in there for me to say, look, every time from now on when you make the invite, uh, then put the address in. And now they've put that in their processes. But a lot of people would just be like, Oh, like that was annoying. And then next time they'll be like, you know, like I don't want to make the effort to like go back and tell them to fix it. So they can't fix things if we don't, they don't know that they're broken. Mm -hmm. So a lot of this is just around communication. And you can communicate this stuff and uh, not assume that it's just going to be fixed on its own. Yeah. And then in terms of
1: um, the fear, I guess people have, even around like people often ask me, how do you give like your credit card information or things like that to, a team member or someone that you're outsourcing that to because I think there's a bit of fear around that.
2: Yeah, so for those people who really do have those kinds of issues with it, those sort of really ingrained issues, then you just have to start with something small. And it it's not that they're going to you don't have to look at a virtual assistant as like an all or nothing. You know, we talked about this yesterday, right? It's not a binary activity. There are levels of delegation. We actually think there's six the way we teach it. But start with something really small like and something with low risk, like making a reservation for dinner. I know that sounds silly, but people have issues with that. They don't want to have the back and forth. It's like, but yeah, if you if you free up your time even by ten minutes to let them do something and so you can do what you're doing, that's a win. You know, it's not all or nothing. So if you really don't want to give them a credit card, fine. But most virtual assistant services will charge your card and only the managers have access to that, and then they'll use their own card to buy things. So they're not gonna run off of the card. If you're really worried about it, get another card that has a five hundred dollar limit. You know, which is really easy to do. If you have an American Express or a Visa, you can do that. So uh, those, to me, are just excuses, honestly. It's just somebody who hasn't made that effort yet because where there's a will, there's a way. Yeah. Do you think people should
1: start outsourcing and delegating things, like, regardless of whether or not they have the financial means? like Because certain things with your business, you're going to make money, you can invest more back in. But someone that might be watching this right now that just has their 9-to-5 job, Mm -hmm. is there is it worth them looking at right now to outsource some of these things that they might be doing because maybe that could free up their time
2: to start their business or to make more money in their life in a different way? So for that, for those people, for that situation, you really want to look at automation first because okay. there's so many things that we can automate now that are free. Uh, and one of the most obvious ones for me is social media marketing and getting the word out there. Yeah. Uh, as I showed you guys yesterday, we can use machine learning now to get free press. Like There's always ways to do that don't require a person yeah. and are less than 100 bucks a month if not less. I mean, if not like free. Um, things like IFTTT is totally free and something as simple as saying like if I post something on Facebook, I also want it to be on Twitter and LinkedIn, right? That's something that will take you maybe an extra 4 or 5 minutes, but if you automate it for free, then you never have to think about it again. And people have to get in that mindset that they can understand like there's a value to that. Once you move beyond that, and even with limited funds, there's some very simple things that you can outsource or I mean, not even simple but you can very cheaply outsource things with websites like Fiverr.com. Right. Right, so it doesn't matter how strapped you are for cash. If you want to launch a podcast, you need intro music, and you can get it for $5 on yep. Fiverr rather than just being like, oh, no, I'll wait, or I'll just you know, it, spend the $5, have something that's somewhat decent, and build from there. But you don't have to, it's not like, oh, I'm either going to have to invest $1,500 full-time in a person, or it's nothing.
1: And I think you know one thing that's always helped me is uh, you know seeing what I'm what I'm doing throughout the day, how I'm spending my time, and putting a monetary value on those things because there are certain things you might be doing that is like a five or ten dollar an hour task that right. you're still doing. It doesn't make sense because by outsourcing that, it's going to free up your time to focus more on the high leverage, the more money making things that you could do. That that you know. So I think you you look at it the same way, eliminating those those ones that. They're inexpensive things that you could easily outsource so that you could focus on the most important aspects.
2: Yeah. And, you know, so everyone knows the expression, right, time is money. But to me, it's more like there's a cost of inaction, Mm -hmm. right? So everyone that is watching this, and you and I included, there's a thousand other people in the world that do exactly what we do, Mm -hmm. right? And what differentiates ourselves is our content and our message and our perspective and our personality, hopefully. And every second that you're not getting that out there, somebody else is doing it faster, so speed wins in a lot of these situations, right? If you want to sell something on Amazon, there's we we know there's like a hundred other people that are selling that product, and what you do and the way you do it and the fast the, the speed with which you do it is going to make you make you better. So this idea that something might be too expensive, yes, there's the cost of like your hourly rate or what you can do in a day, but there's also that cost of inaction. Yeah, yeah, that's that's one thing that you helped me with yesterday because I noticed that was holding
1: me back at different times where I think. I'd always look for ways to get something done cheap, you know, and sometimes that would not be the best way of going about it, but yeah, just how you frame things of looking at, okay, what's the benefit that by doing this can provide for you and then what's the cost of inaction? You realize that you're missing out on that that growth, that financial finances that you can earn by not doing it. So,
2: well, so I, and I think a really nice way to sort of put that is that sometimes the bargain is being done that's
1: awesome. So what are, what are some tools? What are some of your favorite tools that you use um, in your business or personal life?
2: So Voxer with a V is probably... V O X E R. Yeah. So Voxer is like single-handedly really transformed my business. So Voxer is... People might be familiar with WhatsApp and Telegram, things like that. It's essentially a voice messaging app, but it's asynchronous, right? So it's not live like we're doing right now. Um, I can send a message at four in the morning my time, and somebody in Australia can respond to it three hours later, whatever it might be. The coaching program that I run, typical coaching programs are one-to-one, or even if they're in a group, but it's live, you're doing group calls, or you're doing one-on-one calls an hour a week, whatever it might be. With my program, the people that I work with get unlimited Voxer access to me. So there's people that I talk to every single day for a minute and a half sometimes, and we just move the needle so much faster. They never have to schedule a call with me five days in advance for 45 minutes to get the three-minute answer they need. It's also how I work with my team. Everyone who works with me, is, uh, is a mother and they have kids and they have crazy lives and we can work really effectively and never have to wait and I'm never the bottleneck mm. because of it. So Voxer has been huge. And then another one, which is another communication tool, is Intercom. Yeah. So Intercom essentially works like a shared inbox for email, text message for the business, uh, Facebook Messenger for the business, Twitter, and live chat on the website. Mm. And what that means is that any one of us could go on vacation with very little notice, you know, and their communication is shared and nobody's gonna be left hanging. And again, no bottlenecks. I'm constantly looking at how to remove bottlenecks. So those two are two and, of the and, most important tools. And that
1: one too, because you know, a lot of people they have to go to their Facebook Messenger, their Twitter Messenger, their email, and there's so many places you're going to, but this is everything integrates with it so that all the messages are in one place. And then yeah. you respond from intercom and then it goes off to Facebook or Twitter.
2: Yeah, and one very simple thing about that is there's so many people who have Situations in their business where there's someone working with them and they will CC them on an email just so they're aware of it, right? Or forward them emails just so they know what happened. So this completely eliminates that because you can just tag them in the conversation. It's not creating additional messages. It's just a great tool. Yeah. Okay. And I know you also use for project management. Do you mind sharing what you use for that? Trello is my favorite tool. And again, I am tool agnostic, generally speaking, but Trello has just been so great. It's so dynamic and so uh, easy to work with, and it's free. And We use the free version. Um, we use it for our sales pipeline. We use it for our like team to-do list, or to our task manager. And then we also have this basically like a dashboard that we've created for the members in our group so we know kind of where they're at. And it's just really malleable. We can automate so much in and out of it. And you can get started in five minutes and have a workable Trello setup. That's awesome. Um, what are
1: some other tools? Like I know there's some you use for graphic design, video, and you don't have dedicated like a graphic designer or no. video editor. You use these services that that are fairly inexpensive and you get great value from it. But some of those tools do you mind sharing?
2: Yeah, and, and one, more, one more tool before that is uh, Zapier. So yes. Zapier is like the automation platform of choice for us. It's like the glue that ties these yeah. all together.
1: That allows to integrate all these tools together, right?
2: Right. Yeah. So you can essentially build you know, the custom app that you need on the fly. Uh, in terms of services, yeah, so we're, as I mentioned Magic, of course, we're using Design Pickle for graphic design work. So $370 a month for unlimited graphic design. They do all of our social media images, um, all of our like Facebook headers. Uh, they did the, the cover, the back cover for our book, like everything that we need. We're also using a company called Automation Agency which is unlimited website stuff, essentially. So anytime we need to make a change on our WordPress site, they do that. It's $249 a month. Uh, and then another company called Agility Automation that uh, has taken a lot of the processes that I've created, and they will just sort of like off the shelf build it for you. Mm-hmm. So those are, those have been really huge.
1: And then another one was the, the IFTT, which you mentioned. So that's if this, then that. Do you mind right. explaining that?
2: So IFTTT is like a, a, the basic version of Zapier, right? So it's really, really easy to sort of play with automation there. It's definitely more focused on consumers, so you're going to see some more smart home stuff, like our lights here are on IFTTT. But it's a great way to just get it started with the concept of a trigger and an action that you're going to automate.
1: Got it. Now, how do you deal with, I guess, mistakes and, I guess, fires that happen? Because they do happen. And one thing you mentioned, I think, yesterday was to, instead of putting out fires, build a fireproof building. But when these fires do happen, do you look at that as an opportunity that the system's broken, that I need to optimize this or automate it in some
2: way? Yeah, it's absolutely. Those are all really interesting challenges and feedback opportunities for me, right? So uh, whenever, at, like, instead of looking for feedback, we're looking for opportunities, right? That's that's one of the best ways to, to see it for us. And something that breaks, which, by the way, you know, we had this the event yesterday and some people were sent to a different location, which was an older location. That's something that absolutely we take note of and I want to make that better. And identifying not only how we can make that process better, but the creation of the processes in general better. So our whole process optimization system uh, gets better every time we do that, and there's like I'm, I almost almost struggle to think of something that would constitute a fire in the business at this point. Yeah, uh, when it comes to processes,
1: um, you you talked about creating standard operating procedures, but you use something called process tree for that. And do you process mind process sh- tree? Treat. treat. Street. Oh, street. <laughs> okay, process street. Yeah. Um, well, do you mind explaining that? Just the, I guess the process you have for that because you you shared. You know, you, you use video and you have someone on your team to create that process.
2: So Process Street is just a place to house your processes. It's basically a really super-powered checklist, right? Checklists on steroids that we can automate stuff in. So that, that's the tool of choice for that. But to create the process in the first place, a lot of people will show somebody how to do something, whether it's in person or a screencast, and they'll show them and then tell them to do it. And they might get it done, but it's never going to be an optimized process. The better way to look at it is what we call POS, which is Process Optimization System, which is to take it, show them how to do it, but then ask them to make the process. So don't go do it, you write the checklist. But third part of that is write the checklist and then give it to somebody who hasn't seen it and try to have them run the process and it will never ever work. But we get to fix things on such a granular level and recognize that, oh, this person didn't have the right login because we didn't tell them that, and they didn't click the right button because we didn't actually show them what it looked like. And you end up with a process that's so good and so error-proof that you essentially eliminate training. And then automation becomes obvious at that point, and maybe eventually outsourcing. So basically
1: everything is like a step-by-step checklist for most of the recurring things that you're doing in your business And I guess it's kind of the model, you know, McDonald's. Ray Kroc came to McDonald Brothers and systematized and created a process for creating quality hamburgers that you can just pull in a kid off the street. They can do it. If they leave, it's the process that remains the same, but it's, I guess, you're not dependent on that one person for executing that process, and you can bring in someone to replace them. Is that kind of the model?
2: Yeah, and, and the thing is is that if your secret sauce, not to play off the McDonald's thing, but if your secret sauce is in the process, that's a problem, right? right? The secret sauce should be the strategy. It should be high level. But if there is something in the process that is, I mean, really is a secret, right? Because if somebody says, oh, you just have to, like, they know it when they see it, or, like, we have to train somebody to understand this, then that's, that's a real, like, point of failure. What do you see as the future in
1: terms of with technology, AI, what's coming? There's already so many incredible tools that people aren't even aware of that can make their life a lot easier. But what's the future in terms of what's coming?
2: So I, I really think that like the human potential and all that stuff is is our ability to innovate, right? We, we're we able to figure out solutions to things with limited resources. I, I think a lot of times we actually don't have as limited resources as we might think, and that stifles innovation. So, to that end, I think it'll be a very 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 long time before artificial intelligence replaces innovation. And so if we can use machinery and, and automation and robotics to replace all of the other stuff so that we just get to focus on the things that really will change the world. The world's just going to get a better place every single day. People really there's a lot of people that get scared about automation and how it's going to take jobs away, but you should see it as, a, as it freeing you up to do better things, hopefully. Mm,
1: I love it. So my last question is um, just, just any final words or a message
2: that you want to share with people that might be watching this? I can't stress enough how much value there is in just stepping back for a moment and taking a look. And I know that that sounds really hard for people, that if you're in the business, right, you, you're so busy, you're so overwhelmed, like I can't take the time to work on this. But that's the same thing as just taking, saying I can't take the time to sleep. Right? Like that'll catch up at some point. So whether you believe me or not, like something will make you believe that. And if you can stop for uh, even a moment, even do that simple thing that I said about looking back at six o'clock and figuring out what you did that day, starting to get in the mindset of looking for things, you know, uh, Seth Godin, if you ask that, or when Seth Godin says what he does, it's, he notices things. That's what Seth Godin does. Right? So... Yeah, that, that's amazing right if yeah. if all of us were just better at noticing things yeah. it would be a
1: lot easier yeah so would you say notice but also look at how you can just improve that like it optimize
2: it a little bit and if you just did that i gotta tell you if you just honestly if you look at if you just try to look for those yeah. things the opportunities to make them better will will present themselves yeah. to you yeah. yeah i love it awesome so how can people find out more about you So everything that we do is at lessdoing.com. The podcast, the books are all there. But uh, specifically, people should check out less.do slash foundations, which is this really cool little mini course that we made. It's five quick free videos that will really kind of give you an understanding and give you some practical things you can do to help grow with less pain so you can focus on what you do best.
1: Awesome. So check out less.do slash foundations. I'll link that for you guys and also link his website for you guys as well. But... Highly recommend to check out Ari and his incredible work. If you get a chance to go to one of his events, you've already got a business and you're looking to free up more time, automate, optimize it. This is the guy to go to. Thank you so much, Ari. Appreciate it. And thank you guys for watching. If you enjoyed this, hit the thumbs up here on YouTube. Leave a comment below and subscribe for more videos. Take care.
0: I look forward to talking to you again soon.. What's so special about hero breads soft, fluffy and delicious breads, buns and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fire to support gut health. Shop now at hero.co.